Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace, returning creator, one of my favorite people, Philip Kennedy Johnson. How you doing, man? Oh, shucks. Hey, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, too. Uh, last we saw each other San Diego Comic-Con talking about the religion of Superman, but we're here today to talk about John Stewart, John Stewart World Journal. You've been sort of setting the stage for this in um, an issue of Dark Crisis, a, a one-shot tie-in. And then we had uh, the backups in uh, Green Lantern, the Jeremy Adams series. Give us an idea of what's going on with uh, John Stewart. How are you uh, pitching the series? Oh, man. Well, they actually DC approached me about it, which was really flattering. They already had plans for the for the Hal Jordan book, and they wanted to see they wanted to see both of their their longstanding, uh, you know, Green Lantern guys. And it's um, I mean, everyone who knows my work knows I love writing lore in Green Lantern lore is just the Wild West. I mean, it's just it seemed like such a great, like fertile ground to do the kind of stuff that I like to do in my writing. <clears throat> which is write 10 pages of backup for every page of script <laughs> like I, or back matter rather. Um, and DC has some of my favorite lore in fiction. I mean, it has such clear ties and parallel to mythology and folklore. And um, even the changes, the retcons and inconsistencies that are unavoidable with any shared universe, especially one as, as, uh, as long standing as DC is, um, it still to me like the inconsistencies that you see in, in written histories, you know, it just makes me want to know more. It makes me want to know like what really happened, you know? So, and the green lantern has been around so long. There have been so many before the characters that we know, like before Alan and guy and, and Hal and, and John and the rest, I, um, there's just it's just such fertile ground for doing the kind of stuff that I like to do. So when they came to me, I was just chomping at the bit to get going, and I just ready to to dig up and just kind of disturb the earth that has been that has been laid before me. I um man, I'm gonna it's gonna be hard for me not to spoil the shit out of this story here. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be good. Um, but there's there are elements of Green Lantern lore that uh, that I wanted to I wanted to disturb and kind of suggest that maybe some things that we thought were true or not true as far as the Green Lantern's distant past. So I can't wait to get into some of that stuff. Yeah, what's interesting, what Jeffrey Thorne did with John most recently and really kind of powering him up and showing, you know, him as this uh, Emerald Guardian, this this very powerful character. And it seemed like the natural evolution of the character. He's been through so much, you know, former Marine, former architect. and And to your point, you know, all the lore that comes from before, but really, also, we're talking about the past of John Stewart himself as a character, starting to bring back some of that architect stuff, starting to bring back um, this idea of family and how much it means to him. And the, the first issue, again, we don't want to spoil too much, but he's back on Earth. This is a completely different status quo. How much are you mining from what Jeffrey did? How much is your own? How much is going far back into uh, John Stewart's publishing history? Um. I, d I didn't want to give the reader too much quote unquote homework as far as things they had to read to understand the events of this book. So it won't mind Jeffrey's run or John's distant past as far as the specific events that you need to know or anything. Um, but I regard Jeffrey Thorne as one of the experts on the characterization of John. Like it's, I thought it was very clear on the page how much Jeffrey loves John Um and I wanted to I want to talk to him about it. So like when I when I first got the nod 
I reached out to Jeffrey. We talked at great length. I mean, uh, mostly he talked. He, he, had, he had a lot to say about John. He has very strong feelings about John. He loves that character, has very clear feelings about John. And some of that stuff that he believes about John is not necessarily um, on the page in black and white. It's, all, it's more in the characterization of the way he wrote him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, he said a lot of things about John that I was very interested to hear and um, really helped me shape um, my my John Stewart take, you know, and um, as far as his history, uh, the th- again, there are elements that I do refer to, but you don't need to know. You don't need to have read it to get it, I guess. Like there's a there's a moment very, very, very early on in John's history in which um, he's made he, he's tapped to be Green Lantern. So he gets the whole Hal suit, right? Mm-hmm. And then he removes his mask and tosses it away and said, I've got nothing to hide. And to me, that is a, a key moment that that makes John like the consummate superhero. Like that's he he has the stones to do that. That I mean, practically no other superhero does. Even Superman has a secret identity, you know. Um but most of them wear masks, but but John won't. <clears throat> it's also established that he um, that he draws a lot of inspiration from his mother, who is the civil rights leader or civil rights active, at least. And um, I wanted to see those things tied together. You know, like it, it would make sense to me that um, that someone like John's mother, with what we know of her already, and with more details that I imagine um, to be true, that somebody who um, somebody who does the right thing as someone who shows their face. Like I could, I could see John believing that think um, down to his, his bones. Um, so that's a, that's a key element of his character that, that we're going to see hit on again and again throughout the series. Like he's the guy that's, that's not afraid to, to show his face. Um, so, okay. What else? And also the very element we've, we've seen different takes of John over the years. Like at first he was the architect and that's how I remember him. I remember him mm-hmm. as the architect. Um, and the son of the, uh, the son of a civil rights a civil rights leader, but also um, since then he kind of got depicted as the former marine. It wasn't like a retcon per se, but it was a very stark change in his characterization. Like he became he became the um, the, the military guy who, whenever he was in a, a team book, he would kind of talk and like his uh, the way he would talk is kind of the shorthand military jargon as as imagined by civilians. And um, that's kind of his voice and a lot of a lot of characterizations. And I don't know, it just it seemed seemed off like an oversimplification, I guess, for somebody as complicated as John. Um, so in this, I'm going to make it clear that he is former military, but also just as clear that he's an architect, that he's a son and a brother and um, a comrade to Guy, a comrade to Hal. Like there, there are many elements of his character that I'm going to try to to make clear um in every issue so it's not it's not quite as one note a, a take as i've sometimes seen yeah i'm glad to hear that because i feel the same way about john that you do for because he was always you know when he was introduced to, he was that architect he was there with that creative side to him um and yeah i'm happy to hear you uh that you're going to be exploring that because here's the other thing like when i found out you were doing this it really resonated and i thought okay well you've got your two sides right you've got your you're you're in the military you've got your background but you're also really into music and you write comics you've got that creative side too you marry those two together it makes you you know a fuller person i think you're the perfect person to be writing 
to be writing John Stewart, right? Because he's got that military background, but he's also got the creativity. And that was something that was interesting, kind of similar to Kyle Rayner with his graphic arts background. John's got the architect background. So when he imagines his constructs and what have you, he can do things that other people can't because he he just has that creative imagination, right? Yeah. Talking to Montos about that has been so fun, man. I There is a page in, the, in one of the layouts when he... For those, excuse me, for those who don't know uh, how comics come together, usually the artist will, like the line artist, will send um, layouts or, or uh, just thumbnails uh, to the editorial team and and uh, and writers. Like, you know, how's this? It's kind of giving everyone a chance to collaborate on the visuals a little bit. And uh, of course, we we will typically bow to the artist on these things. At least I do. But um, there was an image in which it showed John kind of like taking a swing of somebody, but as, as his arm, I think in the script, I described it like he, John takes a swing at the guy as if he was punching it himself. But then this gigantic fist thing comes out of the ground and just explodes on the ground. It hits the guy that, that mirrors John's arm. Mm -hmm. Um, But the arm that came out of the ground looked just like a normal arm. And we've seen that so much over the years. Like we've seen the, the, the construct that looks like actual physical things like, like a muscular arm or a, a goddamn jet plane <laughs> yeah, or, a, or an arrow or a, um, uh, like big boxing glove or, hey, you know, yep. you know, whatever. Um, and with John, of course, is a big Gatling gun or some kind of a machine gun type thing. And I was like, what if, it's an, it is a fist like you've got it Montos, but instead it's like, what if we see like the schematics all around it and we see the thing, we see them actually building it in real time out of hard, like not just a big fist, but we see all the parts that make it work um, like a mechanical thing. So even though he is an, an architect and not an engineer, there's, there's going to, the dynamic aspect of, of comics tells us that it's going to have to be, there's, there'll be some engineering happening in the book too. Um, so he showed like that scene People who read issue one of Green Lantern War Journal are going to know are going to see the panel I'm talking about and know exactly what I'm what I'm saying because it's not it doesn't look like the usual big muscular arm thing that we might have seen years ago. It looks like you know an architect is or an engineer rather is making the thing in real time. It looks so dope, and every page has stuff like that. Whenever there's a fight or something, I just love the way Montos is characterizing John, and we're trying to find. Um, really cool, dynamic, creative ways to express who he is on the page. Sometimes as an, usually as an architect, but other time as a leader of soldiers, leader of Marines, I should say. <laughs> um, Marine, soldier means army and Marines and soldier have uh, Marines and soldiers have that little bit of rivalry. So right. I'm sure some other veterans out there will get pissed, but whatever, deal with it. <laughs> You're also introducing or have introduced this new bill and this new idea of uh, another threat, a big threat, uh, you know, we saw again in the prologues that have led up to this, John, he's he's back home. Again, you get that feeling of here's a veteran. He's come home. He's happy to be home and kind of leave that behind. But we also know it's such a struggle when you've trained to do that to sometimes leave those things behind. It, John's not going to be able to just find peace. Right. So we've got this new villain. We've got this contagion that, uh, that's been mentioned in the solicit for issue one. Again, we don't want to spoil, but what can you tell us about the, the villain and the challenge that John's going to face in the series? Um. In a way, that kind of ties into his past as well um, as an ex-Marine, like the um, 
he is, I, I'm trying not to, <clears throat> I'm trying not to bang the ex-military drum unreasonably hard compared to the other facets of his character, but he is haunted a bit by his service as is so common. Um, and he's trying to live his life and just take care of his mom during her end of life stuff and just be normal. There's another page in which you see him just driving a truck with stuff in the bed and um, just trying to drive the speed limit. And meanwhile, he's seeing these like flashbacks of like, you know, flying, you know, faster than the speed of light through the cosmos. And then he's just sitting there at a red light, just like ready to scratch his eyes out. It's like, oh my God, everything is so slow here. Just trying to deal with it. Right. Um, that's a real life experience that people have when they come back here. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want to see him dealing with it. And he's just trying to be normal. And then this thing from another universe, this thing that has a grudge against him personally, but a different version of him, something he personally does not know about, comes after him and kind of kind of haunts him the way that those experiences do. Um, it's no spoiler to say it's the Revenant Queen, because that's the, that's the name of the arc in, mm-hmm. uh, in the backups in Green Lantern 1 through 3. Um, so, yeah, it's I'm really excited to show, show her, not just the things that she represents, but also... Um, that character specifically is pretty exciting and it, it ties into the lore that I'm talking about. And like that kind of changes all the ramifications of what the, of what we think is the history of the green lanterns. So I'm pretty stoked to get to get to explore some of that lore in this book while also using it to kind of show who John is as a character, you know? Yeah. And uh, like I said, in a couple of those prologues, we've seen the queen already show up, haven't gotten too much of her, but then we do get some hints of, uh, of her origin in this first issue. Um, which has to be a lot of fun to be building a, a villain from from the ground up, right? Oh man, it's the best. Yeah, it's it's so fun. I um, there's so much more to do, but I love what we've done already. Every time I see pages coming from Montos, Montos is going to be a star, man. That that dude's art is so great. I mean, he shows the the facial expressions in the little conversation scenes so well, the family moments, but also the um, just making the Green Lantern constructs the way he does. There's so much love and originality and creativity on the page is just amazing and to see it apply in the horror element as well for the revenant queen is yeah, so fun yeah one thing i noticed uh the preview everybody the preview copy that i got to see already wasn't colored so i got to see montos's line work even uh you know that much clearer uh, you guys both both visually and narratively have struck such a great balance between the humanity and relatability of john uh, again, not trying to go too hard into it, but yeah, this is a guy that's been through the war, so to speak. Now he's back home trying to find a little bit of peace and deal with family stuff. But then the balance of that with the action is just fantastic. And that's not something that you can really learn, you know, as an artist and as a writer, I think you either have it or you don't. And the first issue is just uh, a really well-balanced, um, you know, first issue. So was that something you were conscious of balancing the action with kind of the relatability? Yeah, it's it's really yeah, we um it's crucial to get the reader invested in the characters, emotionally invested. Like you have you have to get to know who they are and care about things that happen to them. If the whole thing is just bombastic action and cool things to look at, but you don't know any of the characters or know what's happening or know what they're going through, it's just hard to care. You know, it's hard to care about what you're looking at. So it's it's such a crucial part of storytelling to to use detail. Preferably in some kind of a relatable way um, to show who these characters are, what they're going through. And so then when they're, you know, when something unfair happens to them or if, you know, when they see them, when you see them struggling with something or, 
get a win or take a loss or something. It really, you, you feel it, you know? So that, yeah. that makes all the actions just, just matter in a way that it wouldn't without that stuff. Yeah. And when we talk about action, I, I saw that you said in an interview, uh, you know, 80s James Cameron here, you know, <laughs> or aliens or, you know, just that stuff that we kind of grew up with that uh, you can really relate to. But the thing about those movies, why we care so much is because, yeah, there is a humanity and relatability to the characters. If it was just all out action, you sort of get desensitized, right? And you you don't really care. It just becomes kind of this eye candy. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't really. And I'm I'm uh, I'm biased in that I always go. I think about Alien a lot. <laughs> I love those films. Not just because I wrote the comic, but like I love those films and those first two movies especially. Like the first one, man. I've got to say the first one is probably my favorite. Um, question mark favorite maybe because I mean it's. It's uh, it just establishes the world and the lore so well because again I'm a lore guy and it mm-hmm. just you're just getting your mind blown over and over in that first movie like you, when you see the the derelict for the first time that gigantic ship and the the space jockey sitting there and then the the eggs and the the dinner scene and then the alien ground the xenomorph like the 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 Geiger or Geiger uh, xenomorph you're just getting your mind it's like you're being in, it's like these emotional car crashes one after the next after the next it's just blowing your mind but that second movie is really where you start to to give a shit about mm-hmm. the about the characters. You know, that's that's when Ripley really became the star that she is. Um <clears throat> because you didn't really know who Ripley was or the other characters either in that first movie. Not that much. I mean you, you saw their personalities on the on the screen because the actors are so great. But that second movie you find out so much more about Ripley. You find out you know what she's going through. You see the struggles that she deals with when she gets home again and then how she kind of you know, draws this family around herself when when they go back and all that emotional character development is just, just makes that movie such a 10 out of 10. So it's the trick with this series, Green Lantern War Journal is to combine alien and aliens together. Like all the, to try to find all the virtues of both of those films and tell one story like that. We had to see all the lore come together with the Revenant Queen and the ramifications that come with her is to show, you know, the lies that we have been told to believe up until now and um, where she comes from and what's out there. And also who John is, who his mom is, what happened to his sister, why, you know, what John is going through and um, just really show who he is down to his core doing all that in one series is kind of the challenge. Yeah. Well, if the first issue is any indication, it's going to be a heck of a ride. Uh, Everybody you want to make sure you jump on. Uh, final order cutoff is August 27th, so be sure to tell your retailers you want to pre-order a copy. There's going to be a fantastic dog tag cover that glows in the dark, and the art is just amazing. So, Philip, thank you so much for your time. I want to uh, one last question here as we're closing up. Uh, I mentioned Superman. I know he, he's your favorite character. He's mine as well. We've bonded over him. Um, what is the challenge uh, that, that's different with John as opposed to writing uh, Kal-El? Oh, my God. Uh, what a great question. Um, with John, it's about complexity. Um, we're going to see him on like a proper emotional arc where it's, you're going to see him learn a lot, change a bit. Um, he's, he, I, I do believe that John is a consummate superhero. Um, but he is also, um, a mortal man and he's, he's fragile. He is, um, you know, he makes mistakes. Superman 
not to say that he can't learn and grow, but he is also like this, this oak, you know, this, uh, this paragon of virtue. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to see, I don't want to see Superman. I don't want to see Clark Kent making the same kind of dumb mistakes that I make or being fallible in the way that I am, um, you know, just, yeah, I don't know. I don't want a Superman that does the same kind of dumb crap that I do that has to kind of dig himself out of his own mistakes. I want to see someone who shows me the way mm-hmm. Superman. Superman is almost about the simplicity. It's about giving everyone those, giving everyone chills when they see him on the page, when they see somebody doing just the, the best of the right things to do, you know, like it's somebody who, when, uh, when the thing for most, when the, uh, when most people would get in the petty shot or take their petty justice or, um, give the bad guy what they deserve. Superman shows mercy or he shows humility or he, you know, he shows care for, you know, you know, not just for the, you know, the mayor that he just saved from the thing, but for the, you know, for the homeless guy in the doorway that, that nobody noticed. Like there's the thing that we, that we might not have thought to do, you know, with him, it's just, um, yeah. Showing everyone the, that, the truest core of humanity that we should all have that we all lack, you know? So with John, it's about complexity when, and with Superman, it's about simplicity. Yeah. With, uh, I guess with Superman being that icon, being that example, John's striving to get there. Superman's kind of already there in a way inherently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, again, Philip, uh, best of luck with the series. Great to see you. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yeah. You too, man. And to all you listeners, thanks for joining us as well. We really appreciate the uh, time. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.